feeling groove, feeling groove, feeling good, feeling good, feeling groove, feeling groove, feeling good, feeling good, feeling groove, feeling groove, feeling good, feeling good, feeling groove. Yeah, 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 yeah. We are back. It is I Golden, aka FRH, and my main man 50 Grand and co-pilot Kyle, aka K Blaze. And we are here to give you something about podcasts. Something about podcasts, man. This is the podcast where we talk about podcasts. We review other podcasts. Just so you guys know, we usually take the last five or six episodes of a podcast. We listen to them, and then we get our thoughts down and get them back to you guys. Real facts. And uh, so today, we have a spectacular podcast. Uh, The name of this one is actually called spectacular failures we talk a lot about failure these days failing is super hot in silicon valley and on youtube and on the ted talk stage where there have been no fewer than nine million talks on the subject but what do we mean when we say failure what is failure why does it happen how can we prevent it who gets to fail i'm lauren ober and i'm the host of spectacular failures On this show, we're going to unpack all those important questions about failure by looking into some of the world's biggest business collapses. Spectacular Failures is a podcast about businesses that have taken risks and for one reason or another, they fail spectacularly. They take big risks. Each episode is about 30 minutes long. There's 10 episodes in total in the first season. Follows a wide variety of topics. I'm going to go through the 10 episodes that they have. They have uh, one about a Christian theme park, one about movie pass, Slits, Malt Liquor, a funeral company, Kodak, U-Haul, Triangle Fires, uh, Lincoln Savings and Loans, Toys R Us, Atlantic City. They go through a wide variety of different topics and um, somehow they find a way to make it interesting. Yeah, and I think like uh, the thing that makes it a spectacular failure and not just like a straight failure is that it really focuses on businesses that have achieved great successes and then they fail. Yeah. Cause some of these companies we're talking about $4 billion companies like annually that just grind down to nothing. Yep. Before we go into the nuts and bolts of the podcast, when I first saw like the title, I was trying to think of what it was and I kind of could get a sense that it would be something along those lines. But I also was like curious, can you think of a, something that you failed spectacularly at? See, I was thinking about this. Um, peek behind the curtain, Golden hit me up like an hour before we were supposed to record. He was like, bro, think about a time you failed spectacularly. I'm like, I have. He's like, he's like, all right, yeah, whatever, nigga. Just think of a time that you failed. I'm like, I got nothing. And the reason why I say that is because the word spectacular just changes the entire scale of it right because to do anything spectacularly there's a lot of risk that must be involved to fail spectacularly you have to have risked a lot and looking over my life i haven't been an enormous risk taker specifically in business or anything like that so i can't say that i've had any like major comeuppance but i'm assuming you do but you don't it doesn't have to be business though bro because but bro, even in life, even in life, I got, bro, I I got homies who have failed spectacularly personally. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> nah, man, my life has been my life has been cool, man. Luckily, I've been careful enough not to not to have those things uh, on my record. I feel like the worst heart heartbreaks come 
from spectacular failures. You know what I'm saying? Where you where things are fl- floating so well and going so great, and they reach this crescendo, and then it'd be like boom, and it's a fucking rap. See, man, I feel like with with those though, man, I you kind of see them coming. At least I have in every relationship I've been in, I've kind of seen the end. I've never been like broken up with out of the blue and I've never I don't think I've ever broken up with well maybe I've broken up with someone out the blue but I've never but I've never been broken up with out of the blue though right so I can't even relate to that aspect of it um I mean I can't I haven't been broken up with out of the blue but I've been hit with some news out of the blue that caught me off guard but uh when I was on I was on cloud nine who hasn't yeah who hasn't but actually this for better or for worse right this little conversation actually got me thinking about my homie and He's probably going to listen to this eventually, and I feel kind of bad, but it's not like I'm saying his name. <laughs> but like, Oh, where you say everybody's name on every single episode. <laughs> nah. Now, this one, you're like, nah, bro, I can't say his nah. name. You know it's about to be some bad shit. Yo, I got my one man. Um, He was in law. So you come up, you're trying to come up with a nickname for him right now, <laughs> so you can just call him the nickname for the rest of the story? Yeah, let's, let's just call him... Uh, Leroy, because that's just like my uh, my stereotypical name for, for everybody. So my homie Leroy was in law school, met this beautiful girl. Um, they He went into corporate America. She was like a assistant DA, and they both moved somewhere. They went to law school in Florida. They moved somewhere else, I think like Tennessee or whatever. Things were going good. She kind of lived like an hour or two away. So they still were kind of like a mutant or whatever. But like it was good. A lot of good energy. You know, it's always good when you meet somebody at like law school or something like that because you're both leveling up. And you're not at the same time. You're not like little kids either where you have real experience under your belt or whatever. So you're not like still finding yourself. So it was like a good joint. So eventually they wanted to move back to Florida where they went to law school where they met. And so he started looking for jobs. She started looking for jobs. He found a job first. He moved out there under the whole premise that she was going to meet meet him out there and it was going to be like a beautiful thing. I feel like I know where this goes. Over the, <laughs> and then on top of this, he bought a ring. And not only did he buy a ring... He had a real romantic thing, man. Like, there was this place on campus that they used to go. And, like, they spent a lot of time there. Um, and it, like, overlooks the campus and all that kind of stuff. So he was able to, like, to reserve that place. And, like, she was coming down. And on top of that, she has family from all over. Got a sister in Cali. Got parents out there. He flew her parents in. Flew her sister in. You know, they had the camera ready he had bottle service playing at, at the club later on that night so she comes in and like i think like earlier and they had an argument but like if you ever listen to people who get like you propose i don't know if you had the situation but a lot of people get in arguments the night before they propose for whatever the night that they propose for whatever reason i think is that a, is that a thing? i think it's like a tension the tension is just ends up being high or whatever um bruh i don't know anything about that got you so anyway she comes in there. They, she, he takes her to this like tower on campus. He gets on one knee. Her sister comes out with the video camera and he says, will you marry me? And she just doesn't say yes. She just kind of looks, <laughs> she doesn't say, she yes. just kind of <laughs> looks at him and just starts crying. 
What? And um Oh man. Yeah. That's bruh. And I think that's what I would consider a spectacular failure. Yo. Okay, so are there just photos of this or is there actual video of this? I'm certain that there is video of it. Oh, but man, he can relive the worst moment of his life. I, over I highly over. doubt he ever got that video because I, I, after people saw what was going down, I'm, I'm pretty sure the sister wasn't like, "Here, <laughs> oh <laughs> shit, <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, we got the." <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we gotta bleep that out. <laughs> oh shit! Like she wasn't like here, Leroy. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, Leroy. <laughs> I'm so bad. Uh, oh my god, uh, this is why I don't talk. This is why I'm. Not, see, this is why I'm just not. Oh man, I feel like I'm six nine right now, man. Fuck that. Oh man, but. Yeah, but I think I would consider that a spectacular Bro, failure, man, because like shit was going. Bright. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, so honestly, I would rather tell this story about him than the story I was going to talk about by myself. So <laughs> we're gonna uh, we're gonna leave it leave it there. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna leave it there. I mean, it may come up later anyway, man. But it, can you even imagine that you go through all this effort to basically share the most intimate, what should be the most intimate moment of your life with someone and it goes that way. But not only that, but you got pictures of it to prove it. See? And I mean, that's hey, some would call that a Kodak moment, right? Oh, snap. Look at you with the segue, the segue yes, king. Sir. Yes, sir. Let's get it. Uh, so the first episode I listened to was actually the one on Kodak. I've heard the Kodak story before. The gist of it. I have a special relationship with Kodak. Y'all may not know this, but I'm originally from Rochester, New York. Uh, I moved to Pittsburgh uh, when I was in high school. Kodak is based out of Rochester, New York. So it was a story that that I was particularly familiar with. And Kodak is a business that touches everybody who's ever lived in uh, Rochester because that used to be the biggest employer in Rochester, New York. It's kind of like what the steel mills were in Pittsburgh. It's kind of like what Kodak was in Rochester, New York. One of the differences between Rochester and Pittsburgh today is that Rochester is struggling in ways that Pittsburgh is not. And partially is, is because Rochester never really had that rebound. Like in Pittsburgh, although the steel mills are down, they kind of rebounded with Banking, the, bro. Banking with with uh, the tech opioids, opioids. <laughs> the tech industry uh, is big here, as well as like the uh, medical and uh, educational institutions here. So, but Rochester just has none of that. My mom works in the schools uh, over there, and they have some of the uh, lowest test scores. Uh, I think there was a study that came out that said like Rochester was maybe like the third most impoverished city after like Cleveland and uh, Detroit. Like Michigan or something? Yeah, I think it was oh. close enough. And a lot of that has to do with companies such as Kodak who were once booming who uh, kind of fell. It's just an ironic story because these people invented the camera as we know today and held all these patents on cameras. They used to be the only people who provided film for for folks who had the camera, and that was a big cash cow. They also invented 
the digital camera. That ended up being their downfall. Yeah. Yeah. You want to you want to kind of go through that? Like not necessarily. Yeah. I guess let's see if I can if I can surmise this pretty quickly. There was someone who worked for Kodak who invented the digital camera. And whenever he presented it to other people on the board, they're like, yeah, this basically puts us out of business. And with that, they pushed it down um, or pushed it out of everyone's mind. But the weird thing is, I think whenever, I think they said whenever Apple came around, that somehow they helped Apple develop a digital camera or something like that? Yes. So the first digital camera that existed is called the Quick Take 100. And it's was an Apple camera, but it was actually designed by Kodak. But Kodak was so secretive with it because they didn't want to, they, they realized what, they, what it could do to their business that they never took credit for. It was just something that they designed for Apple and it fit Apple's kind of computer uh, marketing kind of aspect, but it was designed by Kodak. So I'm sure there's quick take yeah. 100s probably online on eBay going for mad money right now for being <laughs> the first, but yeah, they actually designed it. And one of the things that that story actually sh- shows me is that like, there's a difference between inventors and innovators. So, and Kodak was rare because it was actually both like its company invented the camera as we know it. But and as part of that culture, um of innovation it's like okay well eventually people are gonna want a digital camera so they designed that but then they didn't really have they didn't have the foresight to see what that how to capitalize on it basically i don't you know what's interesting i don't even think it was foresight i think it was sometimes you have institutions um where it's just kind of an inevitable end. Like, because if you think about it, they had built a cash cow, because like from the beginning, um, one of the things they said is that Kodak basically would take an L on the camera. So like, they really wouldn't make money off selling cameras. They would either break even or take a loss uh, by providing people the camera in order to sell the film. Yeah, like printers. That's why you get like a printer for cheap, but you know, the ink costs you your army of legs. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it was a similar kind of business model. So I don't feel like it's that they lacked the foresight. It was they had built this whole business successfully on this model. And imagine if you're, you're a salesperson. I was in sales. You've been in sales before. And so like if if you're... The top sell salesman, and you're killing people by selling people this uh, this film over and over again, and then your very company is introducing a product that would eliminate the need for film. Yeah, obviously there's going to be some resistance there, and so I just think it was one of those situations where it was inevitable that they wouldn't be able to move fully into that space because the folks who built their company had the most institutional respect and knowledge are the ones who made all their money by selling film 
and why would they it's hard it's hard to actually put your foot forward and in, into in introducing something that's gonna destroy it and you know what it actually reminded me of but you know what they actually they kind of saw that coming because at one point in the podcast they're talking about how they were using the film side of the business to fund the digital side of the business and ultimately that tensions grew between the two portions of the business because the film side of the business is like, hey, man, we're we're funding basically our demise because whenever you guys get up and running, because obviously the digital side would eventually be profitable. But but once once the digital side is completely profitable, the film side basically goes away. Facts. And that actually reminded me when I was at the bank, some of the most underappreciated, underpaid people in this world are bank tellers. All right. Those people make less than security guards and they are expected to do so much. Like they got to They're counting all this damn money coming in every day and they're expected to give referrals uh, to investment officers, to people who are handling business loans and stuff like that. Like I did to their, they get stuck up. They get stuck up. Sometimes they die. Like it, it they got a lock. They got to open and lock the, the branch every morning and, and make sure nobody's going to hop out to put bushes. Like, it's really like probably like the shittiest job in America. Um, <laughs> but like when I was at the bank, like they would one of the ways that you keep people slower staff. I, and I, I, I hate that to come up with uh, like a, a term that says lower staff. Pejorative, yeah, pejorative term, that, term yeah. but I can't think of a better one. But entry level staff such as like as tellers like one of the things you do to keep them motivated you come up with like these competitions and stuff and you know they get like you know so much they're in the sweepstakes for giving so many referrals or whatever so one of the big pushes when i was in the bank was for them to introduce people who were walking in the bank to the atm so people would like walk in the bank and they would be like coming to deposit a check and they would be like, all right, Susie, Susie, if you get, if you introduce 10 people to the ATM who would normally just come in the bank and deposit, you know, you're able to get in the sweepstakes where you can win a, a Ford Mustang. So Susie would be over there like, oh yeah, I'm in a competition. And I'm, and I'm looking at this shit like Susie, you're you're eagerly like destroying your job you know what i'm saying like exactly and so like how do you how, like how do you think those walmart workers felt whenever they first started having that self-checkout they knew it was a wrap uh, uh yeah so like kodak i you, feel like you know what the craziest thing is though yo i was listening to the podcast right we're yeah. roughly maybe five or ten minutes in and they're talking to someone who used to work at kodak because apparently they have these um reunions like every year like there are people who had worked at kodak so long that they met their significant other there is a big deal and all it I was like think, building 86 or something yeah something yeah. like that right because it sounds like what is it, studio 54 or something you know yeah but all i could think and it's funny because they actually mentioned this was like these people had developed film they seen some shit because this is before cell phones and like you know sending the new text and everything 
and she even asked her, like, you know, what's the worst thing you've seen? And, you know, this woman's like, you know, I seen a, a dog funeral or whatever. So I'm guessing the dog must have been stuffed, something stupid. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, is that the worst? She's like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. That just reminds me of like, it makes me think of like, what level of freak do you have to be? It's nothing. Everybody has probably recorded like a little nasty little video these days. But like to actually have the gall to like actually Bro, take a picture of a photo like and then send it out for someone, you know, someone else is going to see it. Right. And maybe keep a double because, you know, and they had doubles. Double. <laughs> they were like, oh, this is a triple. Yeah, man. But but again, man, imagine receiving that, man. Like, how do you by the time I was old enough to appreciate those things? Right. We already had digital cameras. I mean, if you were going to exchange any lewd or lascivious material. Ooh, I, I mean, like that. That's a nice word, bro. Lascivious. Yeah, that's nice, bro. My guy. But you I mean, we could do it via computer. I mean, you can email it to someone or send it on like an IM chat or something like that. But can you imagine like having to give like a photocopy of a nude to someone like, hey, hey, babe, here you go. Just slide it across the table or something. Like, how do those I mean, even work? It's one thing to to do a nude, but like imagine like some straight intercourse type <laughs> stuff. Like that shit is wild, man. And like, I'm sure people have seen some things, man. Because I know the woman said that there was just tons and tons of dick pics in this one role that she uh, developed. You know, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, like I wonder who they gave those to. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. like, cause right now, man, I heard that like people just airdrop you a dick pic or something like that. You know I mean, like, you have to like get your your dick pic developed and then get get it back to you. Put it like in, crazy. put it in an envelope <laughs> and then mail that joint off. You. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's some, it's, it's some girls. Some girl's not impressed with your dick pic. You'd be like, it's still developing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That one's pretty good, man. That's, I don't know, man. It's just like, I feel the main thing about the dick pic, right? Is the, uh, what's a good word for it? The fact that like the surprise factor, right? The fact that, you know, they don't necessarily see it coming. Um, like no pun intended, right? Uh, <laughs> We're so mature. <laughs> we gotta be, right? I don't know, man. That, that whole thing is just weird to me. Like that logic is foreign to me. I just can't understand. Cause again, now, I mean, you date now, man. I don't know what you do. I mean, I'm, I'm married and, you know, pure. So I don't, I don't. <laughs> oh, you're, you're born again. Yeah, <laughs> you're born know. again. Yeah, man, I don't, I don't, I don't deal with these these things, right? Like now, chicks will be like, "Yo, you know." Hold up! If, you know, I don't know if this is too hot for the pod, but didn't I heard that you sent your wife a dick pic? That's what I, mean, I heard. And now she's I, my wife, right? See, that's why you got to be careful with those because had I sent that to someone else, I might have been married to someone else. I don't know. I mean, she saw it and she was like, "Yo, apparently I got locked this down." I'm sorry. That, so this is like one of the rare success stories of the dick pic, actually. You know what I mean? Because we always hear about like how women hate the dick pics, how it's a form of, I don't know, sexual harassment or sexual assault or something, something at least inappropriate as hell. And I get that. But the fact that so many dudes send dick pics means that they must work 
again, you know, there has to be consent, right? Right. It, there, was, <laughs> there was consent. And did you think, really have consent or did it just work? Oh, no, it, it was definitely consent. It was like it was requested. Okay. They always say that's the that's the only time you really should send a dick pic. Well, again, that, that that's 100% it because it's crazy because there's a, a young lady that I was fooling with before me and Amanda started dating and me and her. What's her name? Her, her name is uh, LaRoya. You know <laughs> my guy. That's my guy. LaRoya. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so... Before me and uh, Amanda started dating or whatever, you know, I've known that I knew this girl since like eighth grade. She was a friend of my sister's or whatever. And I always had a crush on her. So I hadn't seen her in a long time. For whatever the reason, we could just we could just never make it happen. I seen with the prom with her. So if she ever hears it, she'll know exactly who she is. Uh. Yeah. Now she'll know. She'll know exactly who she is anyway. It doesn't even make a difference. I remember she was. I think I, I remember seeing your prom date. She was cute. Oh yeah, man. She was. Uh, Bro, she was pregnant on prom night, and it wasn't even me. Like that, that shit was crazy. But you know, not uh, notwithstanding, right? You should have definitely went in raw that night. You can't get pregnant twice, <laughs> bro. I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't know that till after the fact. You know what I'm oh, saying? It was, like, man. It, was, it was well after the fact. So yeah, but notwithstanding, um, so this young lady, Laroya, I think we'll we'll call her. I actually ran into her whenever we went out one night. We we're, um, you remember Town Tavern on the South Side? Yes. Yeah, man. Every now open. and then, man. No, it can't be still open. No way. I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah, probably not. Anyway, so we're at Talent Tavern, and I see her, and she still looked good, but I know she had a few kids on her. I, I think that it's much Carson City Saloon now. That's what I think it is, but continue on. Completely irrelevant, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I see her, and this is back whenever, you know, you still took took pictures on the dance floor, whatever, man, took a picture with her. We rapping. And it's funny because our man, Hold BT, up. You used to have that ill-ass phone. Bro, it was a Kodak. It was a Kodak. Yo, this shit is full circle, dog. It was a Kodak camera phone, dog. <laughs> so we had took this picture, whatever, and me and her start rapping. She gave me her number. And it's funny, man, our man, BT, who used to be your resident, he comes over to me like, yo, bro, man, I just wanted to let you know, man, you know, she got kids and shit. I'm like, bro, I'm, I'm well aware of this. You know what I'm saying? Why would, but, he, uh, why would he say that? That's so weird. I'm she not, say. Is he the father? <laughs> not that I'm aware <laughs> of, man. But either way, and I'm like, nah, bro, I know. And, you know, I, I go way back with her, man. I've known her since I was in like seventh grade. I think I said eighth grade earlier, but it was seventh grade. You know, she was a friend of my sister's, blah, blah, blah. So... At this point, it's like the Olympics, right? Because you wait this long, because this is post college. This is like, well, and this is probably 2010 or something, bro. I'm well out of college, well out of high school. I've known this girl since the late 90s. <laughs> and at this point, man, I've gone, you know, I've gone to prom with her, never did anything with her. Yeah. So I had to make that, I just had to make this happen, you yeah. know? So. We're dial, you know, we're dialoguing, we're conversing on the phone, and it gets to the point where she's like, "Yeah, you know, this is where I live. Why don't you come through?" And I'm like, "I don't mind if I do." So I get in the car, I come through, I do what I need to do, right? I leave. You do what you needed to do, bro. I, bro, I did what I needed to do, bro. Hey. So, <laughs> I got the draws, dog. Hey, yeah, man. man. <laughs> but no, so I'm leaving, right? And she and she calls me, and I'm like. 
right, let's see, let's see what's up. She's like, yo, I feel like I owe you breakfast or something. And I was like, you know what, man? I'm, I'm good. I'm full. I'm just texting her. Uh. <laughs> but at this point, she's like, she's like, yo, can you just send me a picture of it? And I was like, nah. Hey. <laughs> I was like, nah. Yo, so that so that's where it all comes back to this chips and this whole um Kodak. Well, I can't we gotta wrap anything. up this segment because I just got a flashback. I took of a dick pic you got, bro? No, nah, I when I took you and bro. you and your wife out, you know, as a <laughs> as a it was during it was during St. Patty's Day, I think, man. I was like, man, you had just gotten engaged, and I was like, I'm gonna take y'all yeah. out. And then I had the My, was it Mallorca? Yes, it was Mallorca. Um yeah. and we had the calamari. We had the calamari. And then Amanda had chicken fingers, probably. I guess. You know what I mean? <laughs> and nah, she just she just not experimental with the uh food, man. Like we went all the way down to New Orleans, and New Orleans is like a hotbed for like some of the best Cajun cuisine you'll find on this planet. And she got like a hamburger, I think. Yeah. She's not very adventurous when it comes to the taste buds. But regardless, I was being tortured this whole night because I had to hear about Kyle's penis. Um, Sexual prowess, bro. Like, it was, it was fucking ridiculous. <laughs> I'm like, yo, all right, why am I here? Like, I was like, I'm glad I'm, I'm able to, like, to link y'all, you know what I'm saying? Y'all have a good time, but I don't need to be listening to this shit. <laughs> so I'm, that's why we had to get Kyle married yeah. ASAP, so I had to be competing out. Uh, with this nah, you stupid. Out of the streets, yo, mine. but bro, but man, we we straight Ghostbusters, man. We never cross streams. Oh, that is pretty amazing. That is amazing that we're not Eskimo brothers, and especially in a city that small. Yeah, that's a fact. But it's not too late. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, it's all on you at this point, bro. I mean, I'm, it's that's all on you. I got I got no skins in the game. Hey, bro, you, you, got, you got some old work. <laughs> I might have to revisit. You know what I mean? I'm saying, man, all of them, as far as I know, man, they all got kids at this point, bro. Hey, man, you know, as long as I'm not stepdad. But, yeah, so I I feel like now is a a good time to kind of put a bow on this whole Kodak. Uh, I think we we painted a a Kodak picture for for the uh, listeners. Yeah, probably one they didn't even want. Yeah. (laughs) All right, man, I'll catch you guys after the break. Ladies, we talked a little bit about Kodak pics. Your poom poom might be picture perfect, but it might be a little smelly. If that's the case, we have the product for you. Gentle Lady Wash. And you can check them out at Gentle, without the E, G-N-T-L-E, wash.com or G-N-T-L-E Lady Wash on Instagram. Make sure it smells as good as it looks. So we are back from the break. Um, yeah, interesting stuff uh, within, within this podcast. A lot of different stories, a lot of different things uh, that I learned. And one of the things it touched on a lot of different failures, for sure. One of the one of the things it touched on was the Triangle Fires. And while I didn't know what the Triangle Fires were by name, I had read when I was learning about 
the rise of the progressive movement and social studies in school about a huge fire that happened in New York. So in the early 1900s, there was a huge fire in New York where a lot of immigrants worked at like this huge garment factory. And it's kind of really fucked up. Like, long story short, there were exit uh, doors that were sealed shut and there were flammable materials and there was dudes who were smoking and there was uh, basically 130 or 130 or 140 uh, women mostly who died. And for ones who were on the ninth or 10th floor, a lot of them ended up jumping to their deaths because they just realized that there was no way out. You know, the Um, crazy part about that is the reason why the doors were locked was like this anti-theft policy that really didn't need to be in place because it came out later whenever um, the owners of the company were questioned, like how much theft had happened for you to have to feel the need to lock the doors. And they're saying, well, you know, it was negligible. Barely anyone stole anything. So really, there's no reason for the doors to be locked in the first place. A completely avoidable massacre, really, all because of greed, if you think about it. And I'm sure race had a lot to do with that because, you know, we'll get to the role that whiteness uh, has had as, as it pertains to other stories. But, you know, in the early 1900s, what people don't realize is that Whiteness is pretty much an American-made phenomenon. It was basically created in order to unify uh, a group of folks who were from all these different areas in Europe um, who identified not by the color of skin, but by their uh, nationality or ethnicity. And so I'm, I'm sure that a lot of that excessiveness had to do with stereotypes about those immigrant communities and how they were inherently thieving. Um, and so they go through all those kind of steps to uh, pat them down because they thought that those are the kind of people that would steal. Um, and as a result, all those people lost their lives. Now, one of the good, good things about like these stories in general is yes, there's failures, but often these failures result change and benefits in society. So the interesting thing about all these fires or about this fire, this huge fire in New York City, was that it really galvanized the labor movement. And um, it really was the light um, or the match uh, ignition of the uh, union movement all across the United States. and I mean, I think that's important. Um, you know, it's it definitely. I, I feel like the importance of unions more recently has probably diminished. But you know, throughout this, all the way to the '80s and '90s, you know, a lot of folks had held good union jobs, and that was like kind of like the way to the American dream. Um, yeah, because the unions were instrumental in creating safe work environments for the people who worked in unions, for the people performing these menial jobs. So you'll see a lot of these more dangerous jobs kind of going to the wayside. But unfortunately, the dangerous jobs don't all of a sudden go away. Yeah. So and and that was like 
the interesting thing um, in terms of what this transition to. So you hear about all these unhealthy workplaces, how people were treated. The workers weren't allowed to talk. It was just like kind of like a real shit show in terms of how the labor was treated. And if you fast forward today, those kind of conditions don't exist here in the United States largely. I mean, I'm sure that we know that there's some areas where workers are definitely exploited. But um, the interesting thing is now the same large clothing manufacturers and all that kind of stuff, they still are employing not directly, but indirectly as, as they did back then with other contractors and stuff. But now they're not, those people aren't employed so much in the United States. They're employed in places like um, Bangladesh and China and a lot of those same um, things that have happened. Like I've, I've, I've heard several stories about factories in China that burn up in flames and, and people were dying and, and stuff like that. It's just interesting how a result of our progressive movement here in the United States, these huge corporations and multinational companies really just end up thwarting the exploitation. And so it just seems like a very American thing to do. Like we improve shit here and then we just like move that shit next door. Yeah, you know bro. Globalism. I think that's what it's called. I think they said uh, specifically in Bangladesh, they have similar work conditions to the work conditions that uh, started the triangle fire that uh, led to all those people dying. So, I mean, it's not that we've gotten over it. It's not that we've really come to a uh, definitive solution or it's not that employers have become more sympathetic to the uh, working environment of their employees. It's just that they found other people to put in shitty work environments. Facts. And it's just like, and just like now, like when you think about things about the financial crisis and all that and the people who caused that, the people who own these companies, they basically got off scot-free you know what i'm saying where they their insurance cover most everything and it's just it just seems like no matter what era we're in there there's a certain aristocracy that just seems to do whatever the fuck they want without consequence yeah and a lot of i think a lot of the reason why they were able to get away with what they got away with is also because of who their workers were you mentioned before that you know, they were largely immigrants. And even though these immigrants may on the surface appear to be white or whatever, they're still treated differently because they're not from this country. And in that same vein, they still strive to be white. They still strive for this uh, whiteness that America has created. And that kind of tied into another episode that they did on Trump in Atlantic City. Trump was a big part of it. Actually, the entire podcast was pretty much about Trump's failure in Atlantic City. They went step by step through all the investments that Trump put into Atlantic City and to try to make it vibrant, to give a little bit of history on Atlantic City. And the history of Atlantic City was a lot more compelling or a lot more interesting than any of the stuff that Trump did. Right. And that was, that's why I said like I was kind of like it wasn't all about Trump because about 30 percent of it was actually just about the history before he even got there. And that's kind of what uh, blew my mind. I will never look at the word boardwalk the same <laughs> again. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 
Do you do you want you got it? What was explained in a podcast that stuck out to both of us? Um, Golden actually hit me up midweek and was like, Hey man, send me your notes on you know what you thought of the podcast. He read them, he's like, Bro, I got the same notes. And one of the things that stuck out to both of us was this um concept of whiteness. Um, one thing that they mentioned in the podcast in Atlantic City was the reason why it was so vibrant and um it was so what's a good word for it, popular, is it because it was a place where immigrants who weren't Americans could go to- Or new Americans. Or new Americans, yeah, who, who can go to establish like their whiteness or live out the white fantasy. And white fantasy is exploiting black labor. On the boardwalk, there were these things called rolling chairs, which basically looked like love seats that actually had wheels on them. And they weren't really used for anything- of any value. I mean, even though you could be transported from place to place, it was really something for you to be seen in. And what made it problematic now, even looking back at it, is the people who were pushing these rolling chairs were black people, they're black men. So basically, in order to feel more white, these immigrants would come, would go to Atlantic City, go to the boardwalk, rent these rolling chairs and have black men push them around in it because that made them feel more white. And literally like, they weren't going anywhere. It says like, they would wear these extravagant clothes. They'd be wearing damn near mink in the summertime just to sit on a damn chair and have a black dude picture, uh, push them and some motherfucker with a Kodak camera to take that shit. Like it was crazy, man. Yeah, so I, I don't know, man. And that like just really struck me because now there's probably white people who identify more as like, oh, I'm Irish or I'm this, that, or other. But like for most black people, we're like, yeah, man, you're, you're white. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And there's a reason for that because white people can blend in. Another thing that kind of stuck out to me, at least, and I mean, you could speak to it as well in the Atlantic City thing was obviously you know, the superstition and the gambling. They talk about this one guy who always ate tacos at this specific restaurant because he would hit big whenever he did it. And um, me and Golden, we've, we've been to Vegas a couple times now. Ow, oh, we are yeah. Vegas veterans, cuz. Yeah, man, this dude Golden, man. He always- And ain't no boardwalk in Vegas. You know what I mean? <laughs> I ain't I mean, pushing but- none of y'all motherfuckers on Vegas. More to the point, though, man. Like every time we leave Vegas, Golden's always on top. Every time he disappears, he comes back with money and smell like throw up. So, uh, <laughs> it, I mean, oh did, man, that's a wonderful combination, man. <laughs> did you have any um, superstitions like whenever you gamble? I don't really have superstitions when I gamble because honestly, I'm pretty much a realist when I gamble. Like I realize, like. Uh, the table is going to win most of the time. And I feel like the more you getting into, like when you really think you got the mojo and shit like that, I feel like that's where you like get lost and you gamble too. When I'm really like in gambling mode, like if I'm playing roulette, for example, I don't look at the, I don't look at the thing spin because I don't want to come up with some kind of thing in my head. Like, Oh, it was almost 21. It it was almost there to become the next. Or and I don't look at the numbers on the screen because I, I I don't believe that there's any strategy when it comes to I know there's no strategy when it comes to roulette so I just nah. pick eight random numbers every time I don't know what it, what I pick and I just see if it lands on it and that's it so my whole when I'm in Vegas my whole thing is I need to drink 
for free and I need and and I need to be calm. So I'm not gonna do anything that's gonna get my blood pressure high and I'm gonna get as much Henny and Grand Marnier as I can. So like that's basically how I roll. Now I've been to Atlantic City once and I actually won big in Atlantic City. I was there for a work trip. I was in Philadelphia for a work trip. Uh we drove to Atlantic City and I, I think I won like $1,500 or something playing uh, roulette uh, there. And it was like kind of the same deal. I just was just picking random numbers and it was just was like my lucky day. I don't know if I played blackjack or anything. Man, I feel like roulette's the only thing I played, man. You remember whenever we went to, uh, what's it called? Ellis Island Casino and we were all hitting on those tables? Yo, Ellis Island can get a free ad from us any day, Most yo. definitely, bro. Every time we go to Vegas, Ellis Island is that spot. If y'all ever find yourself in Las Vegas, y'all need to go off the strip. I think it's on Fremont. Um, to Ellis Island. It probably is on Fremont. It's, it's, it's I guess, the old strip or whatever. But Yeah, man. It looks like a dive bar, man. I mean, honestly, it looks like an old rundown motel or whatever. But it smacks, man. Yeah, like, and the crazy thing is so great, but there's not too many things I can say about it that's great. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, the <laughs> bathroom is is the worst bathroom I've ever been in in my life. Bro, after, after, so we went with our boy Zoe, all right? And this guy, Zoe, he goes to the bathroom. He's like, bro, I can't unsee that. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's at the bathroom, man. It's just, it's so disgusting. I never, I didn't even go to the bathroom. I just Me held it till we went dog. back to my trip, bro. Me, I think I'm mad pissed outside. <laughs> but that's but how bad it was. They man. have, but I, I, I didn't see it. They have great deals. You can get a steak, a beer, and a potato for like $9.99 and a vegetable for, for like $9.99. And the steak is actually solid, man. They, Cook the potato however you want it. If you want mashed potatoes, if you want hash browns, if you want um, French fries, and you get a side salad. And it's the only place I've ever gambled where the dealer cheated for me. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> she was like, no, I but she flipped over something and was like, "Oh, that's gonna be a whatever." You might want to lower that or something. And I was like, "All right, thank you, cuz." Yeah, but the crazy thing is, man, we went there and we played roulette. And again, there's no strategy to roulette. You can't. Like cheating roulette. Roulette is roulette, you know. And we you left. On, cheat, well, yeah, I mean, we would have left on top if people would have stopped when they needed to stop because everyone had a come up. Everyone had a major come up. But I mean, we just we just overstayed our welcome. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. I left with I left with money in my pocket, man. But my man Zoe, he probably got a little overzealous. Yeah, overzealous. <laughs> that, 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 bro, that's a reach. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was a dope ass experience, man. It was like being a kid in the candy store. Or in the Toys R Us, right? Boom, boom. <laughs> the Segway Kings in this bitch, dog. So there was an episode uh, on Toys R Us. And first of all, I was just interested. Like, what, what was your Toys R Us experience when you growing up? Like, what kind of experiences? Toys R Us was literally the best museum I've ever been to, right? Where you go in and you see all the cool stuff and you don't touch shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that was Toys R Us for me, man. Because I remember um, you're familiar with um, Ross Park Mall on McKnight Road. Yeah, yeah. And like, there's a Toys R Us right outside of Ross Park Mall. And we would drive to Ross Park Mall and we'd always be like, hey, can you stop at Toys R Us? Can you stop at Toys R Us? We almost never stopped at Toys R Us. All right. But whenever we would and we got to see all the toys, 
and walk out empty handed. <laughs> <laughs> that shit would be lit though. Yo, very seldom did I walk in the Toys R Us and, and walk out with something. Like almost never. But Toys R Us, Toys R Us was like the it was the holy grail, man. I mean, to be a to be a kid in Toys R Us, man, that was like that was like the closest thing you get to heaven, man. Cause they had all the video games. They had the video game stations like set up so you can so you can experience the video games, so you could play them. And then they had all the toys, like every toy you can ever think of, it just happened to be there, right? Do you remember that on the podcast they referenced and they played the Toys R Us jingle? Bro, I remember that. I don't like, remember that at all. As soon as it came on, I was like, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. Bro, I remember that immediately. Oh, I didn't, maybe that just didn't hit, didn't vibe with me. I don't remember that shit at all. I was like, ah. I don't know, man. That's that's pretty consistent with who you are, man. Y'all, I'm guessing you didn't watch a lot of television growing up, so you probably wouldn't have heard the commercial. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. So, but no, as soon as I heard the um, jingle, I was like, I know this, man. I'm singing along with it. That was, that was like nostalgia on a hundred. I I really, and you nailed it on the head. Maybe that's also partially why they're, they're no longer in existence is like just going to Toys R Us was enough. <laughs> I don't remember anything I got from Toys R Us, but I remember going there like, yo, that shit was lit. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Because again, I've, I I could probably count on two hands the amount of times we went to Toys R Us. I mean, we went to KB Toys a couple of times. And, you know, whenever Walmart came out and Target and there used to be Hills and Ames and they had like the toy aisles. But I mean, you know, you take those toy aisles and multiply them by like 50. That was Toys R Us, man. That was a big deal. Facts. Um, one of the things, but like, you know what, man, you know what I was thinking, man? Yeah. Cause they said that Toys R Us really failed whenever they didn't establish an online presence. Cause they just, uh, basically contracted that out to Amazon. True. They basically told, they told Amazon like, Hey, you know what? You'll be the, we'll be the sole provider of toys and you'll be our online presence. And Amazon basically broke that promise and started selling from other um, places. And by the time Toys R Us finally got on and, establish an online presence it was just too late for them but i was thinking man like whenever they started closing the toys r us because they said that they're trying to make a comeback i feel like they should do toys r us kind of like in ikea you know not have too many locations but really make it an experience you know because i mean that's kind of what you're selling anyway right they should what they should do and they should pay me for this idea they should just <laughs> they should pay me for this idea <laughs> merge with like uh jump zone like it should just be part of an experience for kids. So like I wouldn't say IKEA. I would say is what's the name of that? Is it called Sky Zone? So a thing where kids like have this party and all that kind of stuff, and it, ha- it comes with this whole experience. And a part of that is leaving with a whole bunch of toys. Maybe that part of the would hold. Yeah, like so. If you're going to Sky Zone, and the expectation is like, when I go to Sky Zone, it's gonna be like Christmas. Like when I go to this birthday party, it's gonna be like, yeah, I need this, 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 and that. There needs to be like more of an experience factor. See, I like the IKEA idea. I mean, not only because I came up with it, but mainly because I came up with it. Right. But you know how IKEA has like the different. They have the different areas. You go to the bedrooms, then you go to the living rooms, you go to the kitchens. But I mean, bro. I'm married, bro. I spent enough time in IKEA. You know me enough. Imagine me trying to put together some IKEA shit. I have bro. ADHD on an extreme level. I, you know what? You know what's crazy about that? I didn't even go to the ADHD part. I just 
what's going to your overall like helpfulness or usefulness in general. Because oh, I've seen you. Who, who says that to a friend? You know who says that to a friend? A friend who was sitting in the passenger side of his car when he got a flat tire in Squirrel Hill and did not know how to change the flat tire. That's who says that. I didn't. It's not that I didn't know how to change. <laughs> Bro, you didn't know how to change, man. We had to. We had to call somebody, and then her dad had to come and help I us out. I called a friend. <laughs> I needed some WD four, bro. Hold up, bro. This, was, I needed, bro. This was not like yo. You making it sound like this is who wants to be a millionaire? Or something. I phoned a friend. That's how I got it done. Like that. I called the girl. Actually, I, I, you know what? I should have. Yeah, man. I should have slid with that girl or something. But anyway. Yeah, because you know her dad know how to change the tire. Yeah. I I, I called my friend. She's a beautiful girl. I called her because that need to be stated, right? Yeah, I mean, she can she she gonna be smart. She's gonna be intelligent. She smart. You know, she could she gonna she gonna been qualified. Well, first of to all, call her dad to change the tire. First of all, when I say beautiful, <laughs> it's only an internal statement. You know, I'm not talking about any external factor. Oh, okay? right. So I'm only talking about her soul. You know what I mean? She's a beautiful soul, and but she can't sing Aretha Franklin. Though. I needed some W. <laughs> and she's like, uh, second, my dad, her dad just changed the tire. I just wanted a WD-40. And I used my dad's AAA. Me and my dad got the same name. Every time I call up, they'd be like, you've been a member for 41 years. This <laughs> 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 is crazy. Let's, uh, let's wrap this segment up. And um, after the break, we got one more topic, then we'll close it out. All right, I'll see you guys after the break. A lot of people ask me what FRH stands for. That is Fly Revolutionary Hustler. And if you would like to buy a shirt, buy a hat, check out the social media, buy some music, get some signed albums, go to flyrevolutionaryhustler.com. We are Fly Revolutionary Hustlers because we are united, we are on the come up, and we are never afraid to be first. We back from the break. They did an episode about U-Haul and um, basically the guy who started U-Haul with his wife and how he gave a lot of the interest to his kids, but this dude had like 13 kids, so... The whole family dynamic was just crazy because U-Haul is the largest family-owned and operated company in America or whatever. But they started an episode with basically the story about this woman who is a self-proclaimed bad driver who was driving this U-Haul roughly across the country with her fiance. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you have to have a license to do almost everything. You have to have some sort of specialization to do almost anything in life. But somehow you could just fucking rent a U-Haul once you get your license. That's true. Like, how, <laughs> what is that Hold about? Hold up, did man? we have a U-Haul? Yes. Yes, we had a U-Haul. Okay. Okay. So I've been, unfortunately loaned out his labor for my family for like the majority of my childhood to help them move. And I've had a lot of family who've just moved from place to place. Some of them even moved up the street, but somehow I had to be involved in that. I do it for friends, personally. I helped five people move last year. Bro, I hope you got better at helping people move than you were when you moved yourself. Um, All right. And that's ultimately what I'm getting to, because this dude was like one of the worst moves I've ever done. Because at this point, he, I guess he must have not help anyone move 
This guy almost had yo, he almost died, bro. He almost died. Can you give me some props? I was a very young homeowner, all right? I was out here right, getting this right. bread out the gate. You know what I'm saying? Stacking it up, doing the right things. You know what I'm saying? Niggas was popping bottles on the club. I was, you know what I mean? Putting my shit to the side. So I, I bought my crib when I was like 23, 24. And so I hadn't, you're right. I had not helped anybody move. Maybe one person, maybe my sister or something. And understand, man, before we get too much into this, man, helping someone move is the most thankless thing you could possibly do, especially if it's someone close to you because they're not paying you money. Like, all you get is probably, like, beer and pizza or chicken wings. Or all three. Come on. Like, or all three. But guess what, man? You can, like, seriously injure yourself helping someone move. Or you might accidentally kill someone by dropping a pullout couch on them. (laughs) (laughs) What does that comment have some context? (laughs) All right. right. So this guy, Golden, apparently he doesn't realize how heavy a pullout couch is, right? So we're on the second floor trying to get this pullout couch out of his parents. I guess it must be their dining room. And he's like, bro, why don't you just lean in over the railing? I'll put my arms up and I'll catch it. (laughs) Yo, I would have caught that shit. That'd be underestimating my strength, bro. Like, I'm like... They think they used to think I'm skinny. Now they realize I'm athletic. You know what I'm saying? But back then, I probably was a little bit more skinny. You know what I mean? I wasn't doing the insanities like I'm doing now. But I would have caught that joint, man. I'm always been a strong motherfucker, man. Nah, bro, you would have died, was, man. That I was on the stairs, you, man. It was you know what I mean, I would have caught that. <laughs> that was so bad, man. I swear, like all me and Q were doing that day was just like just cussing you out, man. Because he swore more people were coming to help. And so we spent probably like eight hours moving this. Who let me down? Do you remember? Because I don't. I don't, man. I mean, I don't know if you want. I mean, shit. If if you you who it was, you. You know, I helped Junior move last year. I I hope it wasn't Junior. I can't remember who it was, man. I I just because they didn't Mm -hmm. show up. If they (laughs) if they showed up, I know who it was, man. I just know that. We spent like eight hours moving you because you weren't all the way packed. We're sitting here still trying to like clean your room behind us, trying to remove everything out of the room. And of course, this dude lived on like the third or fourth floor of the in this fucking mansion that we had to, and so we had to bring it down all these. All right, man, whatever. Divide it up, divided mansion. I don't whatever you want to call it, bro. This dude's on the very top floor of that, and we had to bring all his furniture, unbroken down furniture, mind you. Like all the all the drawers were all I had was a bed. Bro, all the drawers were still in the dresser. The bed was still put together. <laughs> so like we had to take apart all the like all the. Why furniture. didn't my father help me? <laughs> <laughs> Man, there's a, there's a, there's a joke in there somewhere, but I'm not I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. Hi. <laughs> But nah, man, either way, like, that's just the most thankless thing you could do, man. I At that point, I... I, hey, I was a good host, though. I gave y'all Salvatore's chicken. Salvatore's chicken, extra hot, man. That, it it all was worth it after that. It was that. not, bro. It was not. That was like an entire day out of my life to just, like, help you move. And again, like I said, man, it's just thankless, man. And especially, like, oh, my God. There was this one time my, um, my goddad, you know, uh, he passed recently. But he had this um, cousin. God bless him. So I moved down to Charlotte with my wife at the beginning of 2013. All right. Her family moves down like three or four months later. 
So they're probably not in the apartment for more than a month or so. Keep in mind, I had to help them move in because I was told that there was no moving involved. They got one of those pods that um, you pack everything in a pod and then they ship the pod down to um, wherever you live. But somehow I still end up unloading the whole pod and putting it, whatever. I mean, that's, that has nothing to do with this. Okay. So. Man, holding a grudge on a dead man. No, no. I mean, again, I haven't even gotten to that part yet. I haven't even gotten to that uh, part. That was me helping move my mother-in-law in, you know? Oh, okay. And I'm like, yo, you got these two healthy young sons who I feel like can carry more than these pillow cushions, right? I'm like, yo, why do I got the dresser on my back? But, you know, that's. Define healthy. Young. <laughs> uh, whatever man so either way it's probably like april or may at this point so i've been living in charlotte for four or five years and my goddad calls me he's like uh godson um how are you doing i'm like i'm cool you know it's just you know how, how's everything in pittsburgh everything's good man i got a favor to ask you and I'm like, like you think you? I like niggas like that who just get straight to the point. Yeah, he was like, um, he said, you think you'd be able to help me out? I'm like, it really depends on what it is, <laughs> you know. And he said, I appreciate that as well. And he said, um, I have this cousin who lives in Charlotte, and she's being evicted, and she needs help moving her stuff to a storage unit. And I was like, ah, oh, man, um. You know, I wish I could help because, you know, at this point, I swore off moving. I only help people who pay their fucking bills. But <laughs> fuck out of here. But again, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, whatever. Right. But because at this point, I just helped my mother-in-law move in, move in and I didn't want to do that. But I did because, you know, my goddamn mother-in-law. Right. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need those problems. So I was like, dang, man, you know, I wish there was more I could do to help. He's like, well, you know, if um. If anything happens where you find yourself free and, you know, and you can help her out, I'd really appreciate it. She doesn't really have anyone in Charlotte. So, um, you know, just let me know. And, you know, at this point, I'm feeling bad. You know, my, my goddaddy, he's been around my entire life, man. He's always looked out for me. So I told him, I was like, you know what, um, you know, where does she live? She's like, well, she lives in the Still Creek area. Uh, where I live and where Still Creek is, is roughly an hour apart. Keep that in mind. Oh. <clears throat> so first of all, the shit is far. There you go. Might as well try to South Carolina. Well, yeah, I mean, Castile Creek is really on the border of South Carolina, so it's not it's not far at all. And um, he was like, you know, is, do you know, do you have any friends or anyone who you think would be able to help as well? And I'm like, man, I just moved down here. I don't really know anyone, but you know, my brother in laws they live here, and I guess you know, Amanda would come too. So I told my brother in laws like, hey, you know what? If you guys come, and the, at this point, they're probably like, you know, seventeen and twenty or something. They're still you know relatively yeah. young guys. And I'm like, if you guys help, you know, I'll buy you dinner or whatever. And, you know, these these little dudes can eat. So, you know, that wasn't like that wasn't an empty gesture, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, you know, we get in the car, we drive an hour down to Steel Creek and I knock on the door and it looked like someone still lives there. And what I mean by that is wasn't shit packed. Not one thing packed. Like, I'm pretty sure the internet was still hooked up. Like, not one thing was done. And not only was not one thing done, she didn't have any moving material. She didn't have any boxes. She didn't have any, like, bags to move with. So, basically, we're moving her entire apartment, and she didn't even she didn't even start. And I'm like, well, you know what? If she got evicted out the blue, 
which is what she told my god dad then you know maybe this came as a surprise maybe that's why nobody gets convicted out of the blue Bruh, i'm trying days. to give her the benefit of the doubt i don't know this woman i've never met this woman in my life bro so come to find out that they have been threatening to put her out for months so she had known about this for a while dog so we get down there and you know amanda's like taking stuff trying to put in garbage bags to try to kind of help her pack I got to go down to the uh, the U-Haul place, actually. It was kind of funny to go buy boxes, you know? So I go buy boxes and other packing material. There's this other random dude there who she, who just, like, she didn't even know this dude before that day. Like, she just asked him to help her move. This dude in the car, like, yo, I just figured I'd help her move. Like, I thought I might, you know what I'm saying, get, you know, get some or something. So I got this dude. This dude's, like, complaining the entire time. And I'm like, some people get chicken. Some people get beer. Man, yo. Some people give a BJ. Who knows, man? But, but all I know is this dude complained the entire time. And I was like, bro, of all of us here right now, you don't gotta be here. You can walk away. Like he doesn't. She doesn't even know you for real. You know. So at this point, I, I'm already like twenty bucks in a in a hole just from buying fucking moving boxes, right? And my entire and all my in laws, my wife, they're upset at me because at this point we're sending. We're we spent probably about two or three hours at this point trying to pack up this woman's house, and she's not she's not gracious. You know, she's still kind of directing people and kind of being she wasn't pleasant to deal with and we're sitting here we got our whenever we finally get our whole apartment packed up we're waiting for the u-haul and then the u-haul finally comes we take it to the storage unit or whatever and, we, and then i gotta unload everything in the storage unit bro that was like the absolute worst experience because not only did i have to pay for like the packing materials i still had to pay for them little dudes to eat you know what i'm saying but the crazy part is at this point me and amanda were still engaged okay so we got married a year later and whenever the invitations went i sent it out to my goddad you know and um actually he called even before all this he called me he's like hey man he said how hey godson how did everything go with my cousin and i was like bro this is like one of the worst experiences i've ever had i just want you to let you know that he said man i'm sorry to hear that you know i'll make sure i have a good present for you for your wedding blah 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 i'm like all right cool so wedding invitation comes out and he gives me a call he's like he's like um yes yeah, you have a plus one you mind if i bring my cousin i'm like no she's not invited oh, shit. <laughs> I, I was like she cannot come oh, shit. <laughs> I, you, you didn't want to get the ptsd bro i did not want to see that one for the rest of my life man and at this point i, I won't but yeah it's crazy thing it, it all comes back to that moving story where the woman was moving across country while we're on topic bro yeah. You know the nicest guy ever that you ever met who always has compliments to say. I was helping him move. Bro, you're a good friend. Yeah. It was one of those deceptively difficult moves because he's like, yo, I'm literally moving on the same street. Like, I'm moving just like two blocks down. Yeah. Oh, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's nothing. But like when somebody's moving two blocks down, there's no U-Haul. Yeah, because they don't think it's necessary because you're not going that far. So you got to... Oh, bro. Yes. I'm carrying the goddamn <laughs> fucking couch down the street. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then on top of this, this dude is talking to his girl like she's a nigga. Like, he's like, ah, right, you get this, you get this. Hey, babe, you get this, you get this. Bro. And I'm like... I'm like, yo. I respect I, yo, I respect him for treating her like an equal. Hey yo, hey yo, she was crying. 
can't. <laughs> she, she was like, I can't. I'm sorry. Nah, man. She was like, I'm moving too much stuff. And he was like, me too. Then he just stared at her. <laughs> with the me too? He hit her with the me too hashtag? <laughs> yo, like, that shit made me... F- I was like, bro, yo, like, you can't give her the same load that we got. Like, she's just not going to get the other half of this couch and just be walking Why down. Why not, bro? Are you are you saying that were you saying that women are weaker that women can't carry half the couches? What I'm trying to say is that they're not together anymore, and I, I foresaw <laughs> that at that very moment. <laughs> I foresaw it at that very moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, man, let's wrap up the podcast, man. It's about that time. What are your overall thoughts? Like in terms of interesting, your overall interest in this podcast, one to ten, where would you put it? Uh, honestly, it's tough to say because there's some episodes that i cared less about facts but in general i would say it's closer to i'd I'd say between eight and a nine it's it's really high up there because after we listened to the six episodes that we said we're going to listen to i went back and listened to the first four episodes because i was so interested um the host was really really good she actually reminded me of uh, someone else uh there is a page called screen junkies on youtube that reviews movies and um i guess that's their major thing is kind of reviewing movies or whatever and there's a woman on there named danielle radford and that's actually who i thought it was whenever i first started listening to the podcast and that familiar that familiarity is what kind of kept me um kept me listening even after i found out that that wasn't who who that was but they kind of have a similar cadence and a similar kind of wit and humor so um i was i really fed in that way but um yeah man i I like the podcast a whole lot man on a scale of one to ten probably about a nine for me i would give my level interest probably around a seven but like a seven not from like a a seven is a c but a seven is like better than you know, it's like the 70th percentile. Um, I thought it was interesting. It does give me new information, like the, what I learned about Atlantic City, and there's a little bit of humor involved, too. And speaking of humor, like, where 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 does this humor rate yeah. on the 1 to 10 scale? It's not, we, all, we know it's not like a com- comedic, you know, aspect, but how much of a factor is it, like, where would you rate it? Uh, probably close to like maybe a three or four. I mean, because yeah. most of the comedy comes from the actual host, because even though some of the subject matter is kind of heavy, you know, you're talking about people going bankrupt and, you know, people possibly, you know, dying throughout this, throughout some of these um, issues and other people losing their jobs and masses. Um, it's pretty heavy material and she keeps and it. black people pushing white people down boardwalk. Well, there's that too, you know, but she approaches it with levity. You know, and um, I think she does a really good job of that. And she inserts some, I, cause I don't want to just call it, because it's not overt humor, but it's, yeah, I guess we'll just, I mean, it, it, like I said, levity. She inserts, it's, it's, she approaches it with levity and that makes you not, you know, get too down on the episode. It doesn't make you listen to it and then be like, man, you know, this this really took a dark turn. I don't, I don't, you know, my whole mood has changed. Um, I will, I will say, uh, Levity and uh, overt or good words. I think I think it was another word you used. But I can give you quality, but I agree. Like three is a good place um, to rate rate the humor. Uh, I feel like 
in terms of you rating the host, I feel like that's probably a nine or a ten. Oh uh, yeah, man. I like I like the host a lot, man. She um did a lot with the material that she had. It was a very well researched podcast, uh, even with the interviews that she did and the way it was presented, it was it was great. I mean, she dealt with a lot of issues that I was thinking of because I believe at one point whenever in the Kodak episode, she had talked about the cameras and the way they took pictures. And she was like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the camera would take perfect lighting. And then she was like, well, for white skin anyway, you know, so it even, so she, cause, and I was thinking the same thing. I was like, man, they still don't know how to black, like black people in 2019, you know? So, and you know, she even mentioned that. So no, we don't know how to exist, bro. <laughs> Word. So, but ultimately, but ultimately, you know, she, um, you know, that's it. She still touches on some things that I'm pretty sure some of her listeners are that they would say. Because, like I said, for for me, I'm sitting there like, you know, they still want like black people, and you know, she comes out and says it, like, you know, she she talks about the problematic nature uh, that America has while also uh, while addressing America's history, basically. And I think that's um that's a credit to her because I don't think all hosts would do that. Yeah, I agree. She has like a lot of range. I wouldn't probably rate her as high as you. I'd probably give her a seven, but yeah. that's no knock on her. That's just like, I don't know. That just has to do with a style thing for me. Maybe I'm misogynistic. Maybe I like men. I don't know. Pause. But, uh, um, but yeah, she did a great job. And I, I would definitely listen to anything else that she hosted as well, man. Um, good host all around. Um, from a useful rating, in terms of your use in your personal life, on a scale from phone book to a Google search bar, <laughs> how useful is this podcast in your life? You know what, man? This might be the first time. I knew it was a winner, dog. Here's the thing, though, right? That's just a winner, dog. See, what I would what I would say is even more useless than a phone book. Because the phone book, I mean... Bro, check it out. I don't care. It's worthless. No, you can use a phone book, man. Like, if you're about to go fight somebody and you tape a phone book around your abdomen, you know... Come on, bro. That's some jail shit. I'm... That's some jail shit, dog. But I'm saying, you, you never know, man. The first thing that popped in my head, actually, was, like, the campus directories, right? Because uh, for my internship, I used to have to sell campus directories. And campus directories were pretty much useless after the first two weeks because that's whenever you're able to move to different places in the dorms and there was no reprint, there was no update in the campus directory, so it was completely useless. Like, no one is where they're supposed to be. Bro, but did you just create campus directories? I don't know what a campus directory is. Again, but where I was actually going... Yes. It's like a Rolodex. Like... There's no reason to have a Rolodex at all, right? Because anything that you put in a Rolodex, you put in your cell phone. Because everything in a phone book isn't in your phone. Old people need Rolodexes. But old people don't need Rolodexes, man. Their their grandchildren program their phone for them. Old people. What do you mean? My grandma's house phone. My grandma's like eighty something. Her house phone is her cell phone. So from Rolodex to Google search bar, how? Damn, bro, you you gotta let my you gotta let you gotta let this one stand, bro. You gotta let this one stand. This was good. I, I I was very happy when I was like, "Yo, phone book." Because I mean, I'm sure a Rolodex could stop you in the. I mean, help you in the fight or something. I don't know. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't see how, man. I don't know. I can't man. see how at all, man. But I mean, I just don't like the fact that you always diminishing my my contribution, bro. 
All right, man, for, for your ego's sake, then, from phone book to Google search bar. Yes. I'd, I'd say that this is probably your contact log in your phone. So I guess that's about a five. That's very subjective because some people's contact bar is more useful than others, but I feel you. As far as I think, the contact screen in your phone, right? You get everyone you need because you already know them. They should be in your phone already. But if you need information on someone who's not in your phone, I mean, it's not very useful, right? But either way, but like I said, I think it's it's closer to a five, even though I liked it a lot. It's not super useful because this is nice, trivial information to have, but that's about it. You know what? I would agree with that. It's the same level of, almost the same level of usefulness as, as that show that used to come on. They show all the weird ways you can die. But all I know is that like it's, stuff, it's something that's interesting and it gives you like little tidbits of things that you can bring up in a little conversation, um, which is helpful. And there are certain things that general things, as you can tell from our conversation that we had today, that do spur thought like the Kodak stuff. So I'll give it like a, a six out of ten. Yeah, I, I don't really have anything more creative. The contacts in your phone. You know what I mean? <laughs> all right, cool. Well, I mean, if that's it, man, we uh. Thank you all for listening and uh, Golden, take it away. So I appreciate everybody who uh, gave us a listen today. And uh, until the next time, uh, I do have a question for you. Were you entertained? Did we capture spectacular failures in the proper light? Let us know. And you should let us know by following us on Instagram and Twitter, and wherever else we may be in the future at About Podcast. Until next time, peace, love, and blessings.